Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This podcast series is brought to you by Morningstar, offering you technology and services to support your end-to-end financial advice process, including product research, investment data, and comprehensive financial planning technology through AdvisorLogic. AdvisorLogic offers you simple yet powerful tools to run your business, deliver holistic advice, and build trust with clients. You can experience an industry-leading digital advice offering. Simply select pre-built strategies, compare products, and generate your advice documents within a single guided workflow. Hello and welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and today we are kicking off a series uh, brought to you by Morningstar about all things efficiency and, and probably technology efficiency to being the focus here. Uh, with Supply Parts series, we have got an amazing panel of speakers and in each episode we're going to cover a different topic. Uh, the first topic today uh, in this episode, we're really covering off on the idea of how do you make technology decisions? What goes into a decision? What's the internal emotional decision-making process? Uh, you know, what's the logical decision-making process? And how can advisors go about that process of making technology decisions? In the next episode, episode two, we're really going to cover off on the, the concept around, uh, you know, expectations versus reality. You know, what expectations do we have when it comes to using software? Uh, and how does that play out when we implement it in our business? In the third episode, we're going to cover off on uh, integrations and, and really having a look under the under the hood around uh, things like APIs and working out how we can stack our, our software together to make it work uh, efficiently. The fourth episode, we're really going to cover off on compliance and how compliance has an overlay, uh, you know, how we can make compliance more efficient uh, and all the different things using technology that, uh, that are both in place now and coming when it comes to compliance. And in the last episode, episode five, we're going to cover off on the change management process. Obviously, every time there is there is a change happening, uh, every time uh, we implement uh, a software for efficiency reasons, there is a fair amount of change and training and tracking and all those things that go with it. So those are the five topics we're going to cover, uh, and we look forward to bringing each topic to you. Our amazing panel of speakers for this series is Principal Financial Advisor, Phil Thompson from Sky Wealth. Principal Financial Advisor, Jody Douglas from Mad About Life Financial Services, General Manager of Coastal Advice Group, Mitch Ramsbotham, and bringing a perspective of a large corporate technology provider, Vicky Andrews is an enterprise agile coach at Telstra. And rounding out our panel from Morningstar, Director of Financial Planning Products, Ivan Gower. Welcome, Phil Thompson. Thanks, Rosa. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Now, we're talking all things around decision-making when it comes to technology in your business. And, of course, you've made a lot of those decisions in the last few years uh, with your particular business and, 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 and from moving from a you know, full financial advice services to a specialist risk advice business. Uh, and along with all that came a whole lot of decision-making. So I thought you'd be a fantastic person to, uh, to talk to in this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, uh, talk to us about the technology decisions that you've had to make in your business around the concept of how do you go about them? Good question. It's pretty difficult. Technology, there's like a, a million different service offerings and a million different options. But I kind of think that 
like having a core technology or a core process within your business is really the business that we're in. Um, like if you think of any successful business, like the, their processes and their systems is really what makes that business valuable. Um, and so that's the way I think about it is how do I have a great client experience and how do I make sure my staff are efficient and how do I make sure we're compliant? And then the technology just needs to help me do that. Yeah, fantastic. And so obviously with your the changes that you've made in your business moving or leaning in towards the concept of um, you're just going to specialize in risk in your business uh, at a time when obviously risk commissions were reducing, uh, efficiencies were something that you really had to, to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned grabbing a core piece of technology and then building around it or even the process. You sort of talked about the process being really important. Talk, talk, talk us through how you went through that in your own mind then um, creating that process. Yeah. So I guess the, the benefit of really specializing and, and, and dialing right into one area of advice is it just helped me um, really map out that client experience from very beginning to very end of what, what that looks like because there's not like 20 different variables that we can help clients with. It's just one thing that we're going to help clients with and we can just nail that process. So, we know, we know every time I have a client phone call, an initial client phone call, I know exactly what the steps will be yeah, every step of the way and, you know, clients can leave that process is at any point, you know, they're, they're the ones that, you know, may not proceed or may not go ahead fully or, or may change their mind. Um, but our end-to-end process could look very similar for every single client. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned obviously starting with the client experience. Was this a, um, you know, you know, tear up the sheets and, 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 and start from some scratch or was this something that was a renovation? T- tell us, talk to us about uh, how you went about it. Yeah, so it kind of, I hadn't done much insurance only before like i'd never done any insurance only actually um because i thought that that was yeah if there were if a client wanted insurance only then they weren't a good client for my for my business so it was kind of a te- tear everything up and and re kind of think about how we want to we want to do insurance advice um and then from there we had like a rough map and then just really building on that kind of rough idea of well we really want clients to you know, do they need insurance? First of all, do they want insurance? And then how do we provide a really simplified version of, you know, not advice? And then, you know, how do we give them like a proposal, um, if you will? And then, you know, then it leads to advice and then it leads to an application, then it leads to the policy in place. Um, so we kind of started with that rough map, which is pretty, pretty standard, pretty simple. Um, and then just dialing into every little area of the business and going, okay, is this the way we want to do it? And we've changed our process. I mean, the actual steps in that process, we've changed a number of times and reinvented it. Um, and even now, I talk to my team and going, let's rip up our fact find and, and redo it <laughs> because it's, you know, it, it's good, but it's not great. And how do we make that client experience better? How do we make it more compliant? And yeah, how do we make it easier for our team? Yeah, now you're right. You know, you can start from scratch at one point and you can, and you can, and you can go, you know, with a fresh, uh, sheet of paper, but I guess at some point, you, you know, that, that continual improvement part is also, the, or the renovation part is continual. Yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of the most important thing actually is just continually thinking about how do we make it better, how do we make it better, how do we make it better. Yep. Now, when, when it comes to the selection, obviously, there's a there's always a selection. There's always alternatives and other products you can you can throw in when you're looking at that user experience. Are you focused on the client's experience more so than you are your own 
team or staff, as in, you know, maybe one product's not quite as good in, internally, but it's amazing for the for the client or, or, or vice versa? Um, both. Probably I would lean towards our business and making it more efficient for our business because the fortunate or the, the bad thing about financial services is every client has a horrible experience with every financial planner. Like historically, we've got a really bad client experience process. No one walks away from a financial planner normally and says that was an amazing experience because they've got to wait a number of weeks to get their SOA. They've got to, you know, it takes time um, in, in all the research. So it was fortunate that we came at it thinking, okay, how do we communicate to our clients as efficiently as possible? Because that's really what builds that client experience is making sure the clients understand where they're up to um, because it does take time. It does take us a number of weeks to, you know, we've got to gather a whole bunch of data um, from the clients. We've got to go ahead and um, go, sorry, go away and do a whole bunch of research. Um, so the client experience isn't like click a button and they've got an insurance policy, um, but it's, how do we make ourselves more available to the clients and communicate more to the clients? So, yeah, predominantly, how do we make our jobs easier to therefore communicate with clients easier and better? And what sort of time do you take in researching all the options and, and, and you know, I guess how long's a piece of string, but how much time did you spend on it? Yeah, and this is kind of the thing we, you know, thinking about reinventing as well because we, we really dial into our pre-assessments. So, we spend ages with our pre-assessments and going back and forward a lot. And a part, yeah, that's one area that it's like, okay, how much, how beneficial are we, is that to the clients? Like, are we getting differing outcomes um, from our pre-assessments um, and spending that much time? So, it probably takes us on average four to six weeks to prepare an SOA because from from fact, fact find, um, because we may need to follow up additional information and we're really dialing into that um, that pre-assessment work. But yeah, we, we're considering whether that's worthwhile and um, but we did some numbers last month or two and, and about 50% of our recommendation comes off the back of a pre-assessment and instead of, you know, if we just looked at a blind and picked an insurer based on what we felt, it was actually different when we when we really dialed into the pre-assessment. So, you think that pre-assessment really was a process that's created efficiencies in, in, the, in the overall area of your business even though it takes longer at the beginning? Uh, it probably hasn't created efficiencies, but it's it's gotten better client outcomes, and so that's the hard balance. Is like it's, it is much more inefficient for us, but we're getting better client outcomes. And so, how yeah, how valuable is that? Well, it is super valuable, but at what cost is is the way I I think about it. Yep. Now, when you think about the the the, the process involved in choosing software, obviously there's a there's a you know um, a scenario where you have to invest a little bit of time and effort and, and money into before you even make a decision, uh, and so you know that that then you're pushing out down the track to hopefully that pays off down the track. Yeah, I am the type of person that researches. If I'm buying a hundred dollar stereo, I'll research which stereo I want. Um, so when it comes to software, it's like to, yeah, you you you're throwing down a lot of time and energy and effort into just the research stage. Um, so we took a long time um, researching, um, but it was just a matter of finding something that fit for today and then you know if we and then building out a process around that and whether it fits our business in two three years time well we can reassess that yeah that's an interesting way of looking at obviously the the research can take time but you know the fit for today i think is probably not a bad comment it allows you to it allows you to sort of not dive too deep into or or to be able to make a quick decision or a quicker decision Mm. yeah and and, I've, you know, as, as painful as it is, 
moving your whole software to, to something else. I think that there is a concern where people want to build out a beast. Um, let's build out this beast because it'll, it'll do exactly what we want. And then if you're investing, you know, that many hours into building out a beast and then you realize, actually, we want our processes to change and maybe this beast doesn't suit that need anymore. So that was my, my thinking is let's just get something. Let's just use it. And if it doesn't fit our business in 20, in two years time, when we're changing stuff around, then, then let's look at moving again. Fantastic. So you almost approach it like it's a two year decision. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not investing everything into this, into, you know, any one software. Yep. Fantastic. Phil, thanks for coming on this episode. We look forward to catching you in the next one. Thanks, mate. Welcome, Jody Douglas. Hi, Fraser. Thank you for coming on this episode or this series, I should say. Now, tell us a little bit about your uh, the principal advisor and, uh, you know, responsible manager of your licensee, uh, but your business is called Mad About Life. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for having me, Fraser. So, Mad About Life Risk Advice is our business. We've been around nearly eight years and just recently become self-licensed. So, our licensee entity is Mad About Life Financial Group. Um, we help everyday Australians with all things um, foundational financial advice from their wealth, their protection to their legacy. Um, and in our practice, we utilise AdvisorLogic um, as our CRM and software. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Now, in this particular episode, we're talking about all things to do with making technology decisions. Now, obviously, that's, uh, that's a big part and you, um, you have a fairly interesting and unique process within your business for making these decisions. Tell us about, uh, tell us about the, the team uh, around you that, um, that helps make these decisions. Yeah, sure. So I'm the principal advisor at Mad About Life, but there's no way that I could be able to give advice in a digital world without my partner in crime, which is Mike. Um, his background is in IT. So over 20 years of um, IT support and test analyst work. Um, so when it comes to making decisions around technology in our business, um, I'm the driver of what we need. Um, I'm always the one to go to Mike and say, um, you know, I'd like to make this process more efficient for our clients and for for myself as the advisor. And then Mike puts his IT hat on and says, yep, we can do that or no, we can't and why um, and, and comes up with the solution effectively. Fantastic. So are you the emotional driver and he's the, the logical driver? Is that how you see it? Definitely. 100% emotional. <laughs> this is what we need. <laughs> Tell me how we can do it. And then he brings me back down to earth and says, hang on a minute, let's just see what you actually need. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's funny, isn't it? Uh, you know, this is what we need. We need it now. We needed it yesterday. I want this thing. I really, really want it. And he's like, uh, let me yeah. just um, let, let, let me just bring you back to reality. Definitely, I know. I'm incredibly impatient when it comes to um, taking on new things, and in the world of IT, impatience. You know, there is a need for it, but you do need to slow things down to make sure that there's actually a requirement as well. Yeah, talk to me about the requirements. So obviously, that's something that um, uh, that Mike's very uh, familiar with setting out requirements. How, how does he talk to you about that process to say to you, you know, what is the requirements? What do we need this functionality to do? Yeah, that's it. So it comes down to what's the problem that we're trying to solve. So when I go to Mike and I say, okay, I really want to be able to do this and this is why, that's where he'll actually ask me a whole bunch of questions um, to actually form what we call like a test case really. And that's an IT an IT term, um, is to actually look at well, what are the requirements of the user, um, the requirements of the user being the client 
and the advisor if it's to meet both of those needs. Um, and then making sure that we've got a clear list of those requirements and then ticking off the solution to meet those requirements, not just putting in place the solution and then hoping that it, it meets those requirements. Um, actually looking at the requirements first and then building the solution from there. And quite often it can be a completely different solution to what I was thinking once he actually breaks that down. Yeah, okay, very good. And so does that then often require him building something or does it require you guys going to market and saying, right, who are the product providers that can provide the solution? Yeah, sometimes it's to build something. Um, So we utilize Microsoft uh, Suite, which has a whole bunch of like checklists and things like that, that you can actually build within it. Things that I never knew even existed. So sometimes you don't even have to recreate the wheel. There's already software there that can provide that. And quite often, it's a case of just having a look at, well, what are the tools that are out there that meet this? Um, so quite often, we don't we don't need to build it ourselves. There's already something there. But Mike's role is really to have a look at, okay, what's our requirements? What's out there? And then what's what's the best tool for the problem? Yeah. And I guess that, that means you have to take into account all of your existing tools and exactly. that's also part of his job I'm taking it. Yeah, definitely. And this is the thing is if you have too many systems or, or apps, it can actually be too onerous to manage. So all the time Mike is saying to me, hang on a sec, do we have a tool that can already do this? Let's not add another one. Um, so in our practice, we have about 10 digital apps and softwares that we use. And I mean, that's already quite a lot um, to be all over. So we don't really want to end up with 20 of them. <laughs> yeah, That's a really good point. So we might, we might I'll, I'll talk to you about those when we get to sort of towards the third episode and we talk about the different, uh, the different technology and how they stack together. But uh, how do you then prioritize, um, you know, obviously if you want to do a lot of things, sometimes it's incremental change, but sometimes you want to do a whole lot of things at once. How do you prioritize what you do first? Mm-hmm. So we actually use Planner. Microsoft Planner is our favorite tool. I use it to manage our clients in their workflow, but we also use it for our 90-day plan. So that's all things that we want to do within our business. Uh, we add it to Planner and across the team, we do it. Um, so even the admin team add to Planner things that are kind of little pain points that we want to improve on. And then together, we actually prioritize those things. Um, and before we know it, we've got a 30, 60 or a 90-day plan. Sometimes they push out beyond the 90 90 days, but we measure that within our planner tool. Um, And it's quite fun. Every month we actually go through our planner in our team meeting and we actually move those little widgets across or complete them uh, once we've implemented them. And we vote as a team as well um, as to what's important. And we, we move along in that process of testing those requirements and so forth. And sometimes we scrap them and we say, hey, that was a great idea 90 days ago, but actually we've found we don't really need it. Well, that's a really good process. So every month you get together as a team and and reassess that 90-day plan. And, and, you know, obviously like every good plan, it, it shifts and moves uh, fluently as, as things change. It does. That's right. And it's really great. Microsoft Planner actually has the ability to delegate within it as well. So not only do we put the little widgets up and then allocate them 30, 60 and 90 days, we then allocate them to each team member so that everyone's working on something to improve the business. Well, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, and so your business then, I take it, is a, is a constant renovation. It is always moving, always adaptable. Quite often we're already ahead of the curve <laughs> and we go, we've already created that uh, within our business because you're always putting those ideas down and always, always moving forward. 
and uh, always striving for efficiency. Definitely. Yeah. And tell um, me about tell me about the, the the price tag that goes along with striving for efficiency because obviously, you know, having a having a mic in your business costs yeah. money uh and and constantly working on stuff costs money and 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 I, I guess it takes time to pay it pay itself back. It does, definitely. I mean, we're really lucky because we are a husband and wife team. Um, I have the advisor skill set, Mike has the IT skill set. I can only imagine how much it would cost if we had to uh, outsource that IT resource. Um, we take it, we take it advantage of it, really. I mean, all the time we're just saying to Mike, can we do this? Can we do this daily? You know, whereas I know a lot of advice practices out there would have to bring in an IT resource for that. So for us, the cost is obviously Mike works within the business, but he also works a lot for love because it is our business. Um, so, you know, there is that cost. And really, apart from that, having that IT resource is probably our biggest cost um, in terms of other softwares and things like that. Um, you can have a lot of apps and things like that that are quite low cost to keep the cost down. Um, however, nowadays, I think the largest cost within our business is probably very much so the software followed by wages would be the two. Yep. Fantastic. Jody. thank you so much for coming on this particular episode. We look forward to catching you in the next episode when we talk about the expectations uh, of software versus the reality. Thanks, Fraser. Thanks for joining us, Mitch. Thank you, Fraser. Thanks for having me. Now, you're very welcome. Now, just in, uh, for a quick context point of view, do you want to give us a quick overview of your the business that you're working in at the moment? Yeah, sure. So I recently joined uh, the Coastal Advice Group um, only six months ago, really. Um, the business is going through a fairly significant evolution at the moment. Started a few years ago now, um, and, and as every business does, started as a small business uh, with a with a CEO, uh, Daniel, with real visions for the future and where he wants to take it. So previously based solely uh, in Newcastle and on the central coast of New South Wales. Um, the vision now is to is to really expand and, uh, and move up the East Coast with uh, a couple of brands excitingly about to be launched uh, further up the coast. At this particular point in time, we find ourselves with uh, 12 advisors at present with a couple more to come on soon. The, the business model and the structure that we run um, is we offshore a couple of functions of our business, uh, being both the power planning and some of the more um, paper-based and onerous um, administrative functions, I suppose you'd say, to, to a couple of different third-party companies so that just gives a little bit of a bit of context and color as to the setup and structure of the business and probably a lead into the conversation and the way that it will flow and where, where I suppose my viewpoint comes from. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Mitch, for uh, that's you're, you know that's a that's a good point. You know, you guys are uh, a business that started up small. You've grown fairly rapidly with a lot of growth plans, as you said, 12, uh, 12 advisors currently. Yeah, twelve currently, but uh, a couple on the boil at the moment, and uh, some pretty significant growth aspirations. Once uh, once Gladys lets us out of our uh, out of our LGA, we'll we'll be trying to head up the the east coast, and uh, there's a couple of spots that we have some brands up and running now but uh, the logistics of that have just had to had to wait fair enough now obviously plenty of uh, we're focusing today on the um, the, de- the decision making process and around especially around technology but I guess there's a lot of decisions being made in your business fairly rapidly 
talk to us about um, talk to us about that decision making process. How how do you go about making decisions? Uh, what sort of what are the things that that sort of come front of mind, and 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 how do you go? How do you do them? So the decision making process here is is a bit of an interesting one. Um, from an emotional point of view, I suppose people tend to hold on to the past, and I know that that's probably a generalisation, but uh, I'm sure that there's probably a listeners that can attest to the same, whether it's them, their star- themselves or, or their staff. Uh, the past and what you ultimately know and what you're comfortable with is always going to be a big piece of the puzzle for the whole team and everybody that needs to be considered in the process, right? So what we do, and this is no, no way meant to be a slight to anybody either in our business or any businesses out there, but, but it's just a really pertinent point, is that we... We really work to engage from the lowest common denominator up. Ultimately, the journey in that you go and what you're going through, um, we find it really important to ensure that you support everybody through the change and that along with yourselves, they truly believe that the way that you're heading is beneficial, not, not that it's difficult. Um, it, it may, it may, there may be some hurdles along the way, uh, but they have to see the, those in that particular position where they're going to see that there's that polarisation between where they are now and where they need to be. They need to see and understand the journey and the engagement of the, all of the stakeholders involved um, so that then you have all of the aspects that you require in that uh, information gathering and, and and I suppose the decision-making process around whether you're going to do it to make sure that you can take them on the journey and what the requirements are going to be to get there. There's another side of that too, which is not just the emotional but the logical side of it. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. And you know, I, I like what you said there when the you know starting with the concept of the past and understanding that there is a there is a history, uh, there is a past, and it's an important part of the decision-making process, especially if you want people to engage in it. Um, you know, engage and accept those decisions that are made. Uh, and you sort of also mentioned or touched on the idea there, you know, around sometimes people can sort of get into the smaller, well, I was thinking at the time that the smaller decisions versus, uh, is this a small decision or a big decision? Normally, normally they're fairly large because of the type of business that we're currently in. So the, the evolution of the business means that going from a, a small business to a larger one, there's more parts to the, you know, there's more pieces to the puzzle that need to be considered. But normally, you know, what we're talking about here and what I alluded to was then the logical side. So if you if you account for the people that you've got in that particular, uh, if you account for the emotional side and you account for the people and what the requirements are going to be and you ensure that you communicate it correctly, if you've then done the logical side correctly, which is um, if you usually there's fairly significant empirical evidence an analysis that goes into the process of determining whether the solution is a fit for the business in the first place. Um, and we're going through that evolution where we've gone from a small business to a, a business that, that I would like to think that in, in the grand scheme of things and proportionally we're getting to a, a bit of a scale. So we've moved away and we are, we are moving away quite rapidly from the structure within a business where you've got what I what I would deem to be the generalist model, and you've got one or two people, you know, one or two man band with people doing a lot of different things, but not specialising anything. We're in a position um, now to where we've got people starting to specialise in their roles, um, and and really drilling into doing exactly what their what their proficiencies are, I suppose. 
And that also then gives us the ability to um, measure the efficiency of those roles and potentially some of the deficiencies that may be there and look for ways to improve what we're doing. Uh, In a lot of circumstances, it tends to be a new technology or a renovation of some of the existing that we've got that will provide that solution, I suppose. The decision-making process is fairly firmly grounded in um, increasing people's ability in their current roles. So a lot of what we're doing now in our journey is is, is certainly by no means about replacing people or not hiring people. It's more about the transition that we're going through and moving away from that generalist structure and complementing the really skilled people that we have to assist them to, to do the roles that that they're basically attuned to doing without having to get into the, into the into the other bits and pieces that they don't need to be spending their time on yeah fair enough so this this comes from a motivational point of view if you you want to take the the people that are doing these these jobs now and then just make those jobs more efficient in in that structure rather than saying you know like rather than it being a problem just saying we, we can actually get a, a better outcome here yeah totally totally and and in a business like ours that's growing um, it's really hard to it, it's very easy to upscale technology because their capacity is almost limitless. So if you've got one if you've got one individual that has control over that uh, and and a, and a software suite around them that has basically limitless capacity to to take on extra burden and extra workload, the individual can orchestrate that and play conductor. And, and, and the technology can always, you can always capacity manage the technology a lot easier. So, yeah, it's certainly not about getting rid of the people because the people play a pivotal role in that. It's really about complementing them and making sure that what they're doing can really be scaled up alongside the business. Yep. And with the size of your business now, I guess it's easier if you've got one person in the business just looking at the technology and saying, right, let's have a, let's have a look, let's review it, let's go through it, let's go through the pros and cons. and. Uh, and make some, you know, make some calls around. Okay, this sounds like it's going to, or, or looks like it could work, and then we can go go make decisions. Is that how you're working? It probably makes sense, but we're not quite there yet. A lot of our decision making process is actually born from the collegiate way that our business functions. Uh, we have really regular forums within the business, wherein which everybody is empowered to to really bring to the table. Uh, any any issues that they may be having or any of the problems they may be coming up against as far as capacity is concerned and we will absolutely hear them out because throughout this transition and the things that we're doing, um, the consistent feedback from the team is is so important because, you know, a lot of people have the, the potential just to suffer in silence and melt away in the corner and you don't know until you see it. But if we run it in that really collegiate way and and provide them a platform to have the discussion and suggest um, and suggest solutions, then then we actually find that the people that specialise in those particular areas, they expose themselves to solutions that probably we I don't, you know, somebody that's in our marketing team, I, I don't necessarily even organically with some of the algorithms and stuff that are used within social platforms and those sorts of things, I'm not exposed to that um, because it doesn't flash up in front of me where a lot of the solutions are going to be brought to the table by some of the people that are 
producing the work day in and day out because within their little ecosystem, that's the stuff that's put in front of them. So we really try to create a platform where uh, those solutions can be brought to the table by people and we start, we we will literally then just start the project and and, and synthesising the information and, and the rationale behind it from from. You know, it, it, it could be the receptionist through to the head, the, the head of the marketing department. It doesn't matter. Yep. Now, uh, talk to me about the project because, um, you know, obviously bringing the, bringing the idea to light is one thing, but what about the actual process around how do you then break that down into a project and say, right, we're going to do this, we're going to use it for this long, we're going to do a trial or what, what you know, and then, we, and then we, I guess we need to work out whether we're going to make a decision to, to, to or not to proceed with the, with the product. Well, a lot of, a lot of this tends to be, uh, in response to either overwhelming feedback from the team um, to find a support mechanism that ultimately allows them to be more efficient or in light of a lot of the, the changing way that our industry is working, um, it's, a, it's a response to some of the legislative instruments that are put in front of us and that we're currently having to react to. Yep. So the decision-making process a lot of, in a lot of um, circumstances is, is sort of thrust upon us. But, but like I touched on, the, the the process that we undertake from a structural point of view um, is more towards the aspirational goals and what we want to be doing and where we want to be taking the business. So um, we tend to be looking in our circumstances towards the best client experience and outcome that we that we possibly can and how we can support that internally. So all of all of the decision making process is fairly heavily wrapped around. Our, um, our our business values. So there's an overlay of of, of the client, the, the putting the client at the at the fore of everything that we do, and making sure that all of the decisions that we're making are going to have that that specific effect. We're guided on this journey in a lot of circumstances by historically some of the gateposts and tipping points that we've seen, and we have we have a, a business coach that we utilise uh, external to our business. So most often um, it will be proposed, costed out, uh, the standard sort of business case around around the problem put in front of the the, the leadership team and our CEO. Um, run past the business coach because the business coach has has just that much breadth of knowledge that there may be, you know, and we don't attest to have all of the answers. Um, put run past the business coach as to what they have done previously and whether they see this as as a you know a logical step and a logical way forward. Uh, and then and then once we've agreed in principle that it's probably uh, a good way forward, we would then likely engage the partner uh, on the journey to to come along and offer them our problem statement uh, and where we're looking to take it and, and try to cut through try to cut through the sales part of it and just get down to we've had a look at it we've researched it we're comfortable but we're only getting the, you know we're only scratching the surface now talk us through the the semantics and the logistics of how this will actually happen in principle based on the way that our business runs and getting them to know the, the structures, rhythms, routines and, and cadence within which we work over here and making sure that it's going to be a fit. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for uh, yeah, and we'll probably get into that sort of that uh, sales, uh, like you said, getting through that in the next episode with regards to uh, expectations versus reality in the in the sales process. But uh, look, it's really good to know that, um, and, and I think it's a great idea that you take the, these decisions back through your business coach, who's going to ask some uh, interesting and confronting questions to make sure that that is the right decision you've made. Uh, Mitch, thanks so much for being part of this episode. We look forward to catching you in the next one. Awesome. Thanks, mate. 
Thanks for joining us, Vicky. Thank you for having me, Fraser. Fantastic. Now, uh, do you want to give the listeners a quick overview of your role at the moment? Yeah, sure. Currently, I'm working with Telstra. Uh, and I entered the business in a learning and development role, but very quickly transitioned to our agile transition and transformation. So I'm sitting as an enterprise agile coach, working across a few of the functions and currently in strategy and finance. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate uh, your efforts. Now, uh, in this episode, we're talking around technology decisions. And uh, obviously, I'm sure you make a fair few of those decisions in your role. And and, and I thought we might start with a process uh, that you and I have discussed before, actually, around how do you make technology decisions and whether you do or don't proceed with something? Yeah, so currently working in Telstra in our Agile model, uh, we implement a bit of a mindset shift first and then some of the skill sets and processes. So the technology decision definitely starts for us with a mindset of being open to um, more of a human-centered design process. I'm not sure whether you know what that is. (laughs) Tell us about the human-centered design. (laughs) We know about the user experience. We just want to keep the human at the center of it all. So um, previously, I'm sure many people would say uh, Telstra uh, may have been a bit of more of a government-type centric organization who uh, built a lot of amazing things, but uh, maybe not exactly what the customer was after. So uh, the process now is around um, keeping that customer-centric model whilst we iterate and iterate and deliver um, small incremental pieces of a product. Uh, and keep taking feedback and improving on that so that hopefully the end product is actually what the customer wants. Yeah, so gone are the days where you um, build uh, a massive infrastructure and then uh, try and convince people that they need it. (laughs) Correct, correct. And it's very hard sometimes with some of the really expensive projects and it's almost finished to actually call out and say, actually, we need to stop because uh, no matter how far down that path we go, nobody actually wants it. Yeah, it can be a pretty uh, expensive decision if it's made uh, in the wrong way. Uh, obviously, you're um, you're used to making decisions for a large business and large, um, you know, large organisation. Uh, always trying to relate relate this back to uh, it's very similar, I guess, process for small business, especially uh, when it comes to small businesses making decisions around technology. Um, you've mentioned agile, and we should probably open that uh, can of worms up and sort of talk about that decision-making process around agile and how that works, and how small business can implement. Hmm. Sure. So um, agile is both a way of thinking, and it is a fairly um, logical system and process that we use. Uh, so many tools involved in it. But if you're thinking about it, I guess from a small business sense, uh, it's about breaking things down into what we call sprints. So when I say sprint, everyone often thinks of fast and it's going to be a fast deliverable. It's actually not. Uh, The word sprint resonated from a distance uh, back in the day in the Olympics. So it's the 100 meter sprint. So sprint is really breaking things into manageable time chunks. Sure, we'd love to deliver fast. That's a bonus. Um, But in Agile, yeah, it's all about these incremental sprints and pausing for that moment to um, have a retrospective on what we've actually achieved together and what we're actually about to deliver. Yeah, nice. So when you're talking about the sprints, you you obviously have a start line and a finish line, uh, Mm -hmm. as with any small project. And I guess when uh, when small business are thinking about decision making around technology, it's around saying, okay, great, if we if we do this small thing, get to the end and then reevaluate, is that probably the best way of looking at it? Yeah, sort of. So we we try to break it up first with a bit of prioritization. Um, So the simplest form of that with some of the smaller teams in Telstra even is um, this Moscow approach. So the must have, should have, could have, and we like to say won't have for now. So Moscow is a pretty easy little acronym for us. 
uh, and we put those must-haves into the sprint. And then if we manage to get those achieved, we can then always add in an item that's a should-have or a would-have. So that's the, the simplest form. Uh, the more complex ones, we move into a, a DVF um, formula, which is quite mathematical. Um, uh, talk us, us through that. Talk us through that. DVF. So uh, that's our little mathematical formula for desirability plus viability divided by feasibility. And we really want to look at all three of those categories in isolation. So there's no point in saying that um, something like 7G, hypothetically, uh, is a desirable thing for our customers uh, if the viability of that is just going to cost too much and no one's going to buy it. So you've got to really look at them siloed. And then finally, the feasibility, if we don't have the technicians or the ability to build it, there's absolutely no point in attempting something that's desirable and viable to our customers. So the formula works quite neatly. Uh, and we don't use a 1 to 10 scale, we use a Fibonacci numbering sequence, which allows for more of a, a distribution of the um, eventual number that we land on. Okay, so let's dive into this a little mm. bit deeper. Um, because uh, so we're using the Fibonacci sequence, uh, which mm. is obviously the numbers where you, you take the previous two numbers and you add them together and it makes the next number. Uh, a bit like the uh, the, the way uh, was it a snail shell it grows? Is that, is that the, correct? Is it? Correct, yeah. and that's what it looks uh, like. And um, and so then so then if you take the the concept of uh, DVF desirability, how do you then prioritize or, or using the the Fibonacci numbers to come up with a desirable number? Yeah, so we try to um, start somewhere where we think is probably mid ground. You just have to do a relative estimation and say, look, we think this one's our middle. We'll give it a go. Uh, we try to use blind voting tools. So we're all used to the loudest person in the room influencing or just someone who's got a great story to tell makes everyone else vote their way. Uh, so we use some digital tools like Planet Poker or some simple tools like 123 Raise Your Card uh, so that you have to vote on your own. And then we add those all up uh, and we come up with a mean number for those. So the highest number in the D score is the most desirable. Excellent. So that becomes, uh, you know, how how badly do we want this thing? Yeah. How much does it solve your pain point? Okay. So that's the, the desirability piece. Uh, talk to us about the viability piece. Yeah. So quite often internally, we may look at viability as a revenue uh, stream, or it could be um, avoidance of risk. So you know, it's quite viable if we do this because it will avoid a big penalty. So those are a couple of clear examples for ourselves. Uh, when a customer is looking at it, they're probably weighing up about, I'd love it, but would I really use it? Like, how viable is it that I would actually buy this? We've all got plenty of things in the cupboard that we um, love that we didn't really need or use. So pretty important to combine the two and you add the D and the V together. Excellent. So we've got two Fibonacci numbers for the desirability and the viability. And then, then what are we doing? We want to see if it's feasible for us to get it done. So um, the lower the number means the less complexity, uncertainty, and effort required. So if we think it's pretty simple, not a lot of effort for us, and we could really nail it, we'll give it a one. Uh, if we think any of those are a bit uh, on the high side, up that goes on the scale. Okay, fantastic. So the feasibility scale is the opposite. Correct. Of the of the D and the V, so we have to, you know, a, a one is the best case scenario. It's very easy to do, uh, and the harder it becomes, the the higher the number. And more and complex so, it is, yeah, and okay. it divides by the F score, so that's why. Excellent. So the D plus the V divided by the F gives you a number, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then we can look at that versus other software or other processes or systems or way we're spending our money and work right. out for our prioritization. And with the total score, we like to buy or work on the highest number first. Fantastic. So uh, there you go. There you go. That's a great mm -hmm. little system, and uh, and, and how you might, 
making <laughs> decisions from a large business point of view, but certainly something that uh, small business can also look at implementing or putting in place when it comes to prioritizing what they're going to do. Correct. And I think the, the biggest part of it is, is that um, blind voting and, and being able to recast the vote. So as a coach, I'll quite often look at the back end scores and I may call out, I can see someone there has scored that, you know, a lot lower than everyone else. Is there something you'd love to share that we may not all know about? So it could be that there's an amazing engineer in the room who actually knows it's not that feasible and the rest of us think it is. And by them sharing and feeling psychologically safe to share why they scored differently, um, then we might all recast the votes with that new piece of information. Excellent. So that sort of goes back to the, 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 uh, the blind voting is good, but the blind voting can also be skewed. It can, definitely can, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, Vicky. Thank you for so much for coming on and chatting us today about how uh, how you make tech decisions. And from a large business point of view, I look forward to chatting with you in the next episode. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Ivan Gower, to this, our first episode in this series. Thanks, Fraser. It's great to be here. Fantastic to have you here. Now, tell us a little bit about, uh, just give us a quick overview of you and what you're doing in your position at the moment. Sure. Well, I've worked in the financial planning industry for over 20 years um, across a number of companies, varying sizes, and often moving from the kind of operational roles, power planning type functions, uh, through to technology roles. And when I when I look at the way I work, I I get frustrated personally by doing the same thing over and over again. So whenever I've worked in these operational roles, I've had this natural desire to jump into a technology solution and try and find a, a way to, to solve that problem to make it more efficient. I'm the kind of person who'll happily spend a day trying to shortcut a five-minute task <laughs> so I never have to do it again. Um, and over the years, I've had the opportunity to work with and learn from uh, some amazing people across the industry, people who've really sort of shaped the industry, uh, people who continue to shape it today. And over that time, it's kind of brought me to my current role. I've uh, recently started at Morningstar as the Director of Financial Planning Products. You know, it's a great title, but essentially what I do day to day is work with the advisor logic community to develop and implement on our product strategy. Yeah, fantastic. And, and as you mentioned, many, many years of, uh, of technology decisions. And of course, this episode, we're really uh, honing in on the idea of how people make technology decisions and, and, and all of the different things that go through their head at the time. Uh, and, and so certainly very qualified to talk to us about that particular subject. I hope so. Tell us about uh, tell us about yourself. You're obviously making a lot of decisions, and, and as you mentioned, in, in your time of um, both, you know, working from a back office point of view and an efficiency point of view, how do you go about decision making? It's a deep question, right? Um, and an interesting one. I think, you know, if I if I look back and and I was to say to my 16 year old self, one day you're going to be telling people how you make decisions. Uh, I'd venture to say I probably would have choked on my Bacardi breezer at the time. It's um, uh, what I'd say is right. I've I've bared witness to how a lot of different businesses make decisions, um, and I've seen some. I've seen it work really well. Right where where it's where a lot of science has gone into it is in the big end of town where where these big organizations have a lot of money, have a lot of resources to support the decision-making process. Um, and I think we can leverage that from a smaller business and an individual perspective. So I'll, I'll talk you through the, the process for, uh, for the big corporations. They will often start by drawing up this list of needs. They, they, they do some work into understanding what, what they want out of a technology system, um, and then they'll 
go through an RFI or a request for information process. That's really them sort of casting a broad net and saying, um, hey, everyone, this is what we want. Can you respond as to how you could do that? Um, from that, they'll get a smaller pool, a short list, and they'll go through the request for proposal, which is the RFP process. And that gets really detailed in terms of, you know, tell us, vendor, how would you work with us? You know what we need? What can you do? You get into pricing, you get into the long-term vision of the product, you look at gaps and, you know, would you be prepared to fill, to, to sort of fill these gaps for us? Um, and then they often go into a proof of concept, which is where they'll you know, have a set time and they'll say, we want to really use this and, and um, experience what it's like to use. Then they make a decision and then it's planning and implementation. And that process sometimes takes uh, years to fulfill. They have specialist people, procurement, project people working on it. Now, in a smaller business, you don't have the luxury of those resources. You don't have the luxury of that time often, um, but you can still leverage the process. So as a starting point, what do you need? What's important for your business to get out of technology? What are your fundamental processes that you're trying to, um, that you're trying to achieve? And then have a look around, right? The best process, I believe, is to constantly be looking at businesses. So, you know, don't be afraid to to call up and say, I'd like a demo of your software. I'm probably not interested in buying at the moment, but I'm interested in seeing what's around in the marketplace. That means that when you do reach a point where you're making a decision, you're kind of on the front foot. You've got your short list already. And then you can go into more detailed discussions with maybe a couple of vendors, um, including your existing provider, if that's if that's relevant. Yes, yeah, it, so, really, it is really an interesting process, isn't it? And I, lo I love the way that you've got to have the actual decision-making, the actual make a decision time in there. And often often when you go through those RF, RFI, RFPs, you know, those dates are already set out. So it's, it's part of the process as well. It sort of brings deadlines and decisions to things. Um, and also I like the, the concept of, you know, having a look around often because, you know, that list of needs sometimes is hard to, to define exactly what you want. It definitely is. And I, I feel that kind of grounds your decision, right? It, it helps you over time to understand whether it's been a successful decision or not. It, it really helps you not to get too far away from yourself and to focus on what is going to be successful for your business. Um, understanding that piece, when you look at you know, the trial process, the POC for a big business, the trial for a small business means that that gives you the opportunity to then really hammer those things that you need to do. And, um, and that I feel is critical. It's something that's often missed in in smaller businesses who, who explore rather than really try and use during a demo. Um, and it makes it a much smoother transition if you decide to go ahead. Yeah. Do you think people get, get a little bit caught up on this list of needs with um, uh, must-have versus want-to-haves? Uh, as in, as in, quite often we think, oh, that'd be really good to have that. So I'm going to throw that in there. But really, that the whole challenging process of you know going back to your list before you go out and say, why do I really need this? Is this what you know? Is this the ultimate process? Or is this something that I don't necessarily need but want? You must have, you must haves, right? Uh, I think you need to focus on those. The the nice to haves. They're a bonus. They are nice to have. But I think when you're looking at nice to haves, that's the opportunity to also be open to see what your software partner is bringing to the table. You know, what do they have now that you might want to utilize in the future? Um, and where are they going? 
right? Where do you think your practice is going versus where is the vendor going? Where is the software partner going? Because that I think helps you to align your goals with theirs. And if you can get on the same page, then that's a journey you can both go through together. Whereas if you start that relationship and you're going in one direction and they're going in another, then it's it's probably going to be a, a challenging one to to make successful. Yeah, when I think of that direction conversation, is an interesting one too. The 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 idea of wanting stuff is great, um, but often it's the the frustration out of dislike or not wanting something that often drives that uh, that direction. It, it can be quite emotional, right? It's um you know, and and I think that's why when you look at that that sort of process of scanning the marketplace and understanding what else is out there, it helps to put things into perspective because in in any business um, with any technology, you will experience good days and bad days. And uh, being able to put that into perspective uh, is really important to navigate the, the troughs um, because it will help you just focus on the longer term and appreciate that you know, a, a day or so of uh, of inefficiency that's then resolved um, can really help to shape the business. Yep. Now, talk us through some of the advantages and disadvantages of the idea of, um, you know, slowly, incrementally changing stuff over time versus, uh, you know, um, wiping, throwing everything out and starting fresh. The old knockdown or rebuild, yep. uh, knockdown and rebuild or, or renovate, right? Um, I, think, I think that comes into this view of, we need to make change. So we're not satisfied with the status quo. How do we move forward? And sometimes when you just knock it down, you are forced to rebuild. And so that that can be a useful process to go through. It's not to suggest that you can't just sit back and reevaluate, but it depends where that motivation sits within the practice. Um, so can you can you sort of, uh, I guess, corral the team around a project where you say we're sticking with this technology, but we're going back to basics on our objectives. We're going to start to uh, to look at what we can do with an open mind again versus we're going somewhere else and we're really going to rethink it and, and we're going to go for it. And there's no right or wrong answer there. I think it depends on the business. And it depends on on their approach to the tech. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, as you mentioned, the team's approach to the tech and the team's uh, adjustment to the tech. Talk to us about the idea of prioritising. How do you? Um, how do you? I mean, obviously, you've been in plenty of businesses where you've built a lot of software. There's a whole um, there's a whole series of prioritisation that goes on constantly. This one over that one. And I, I guess the idea of pipelines are only so big. You can you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything. How do you go about uh, prioritising within, say, your own businesses um, that, uh, say, advisors can learn from? So we build a roadmap and the roadmap is based on a vision. And having a having a vision is kind of like your North Star. This is where you feel the industry's going and how you're going to support the industry to get there. Um, when you can start to map out in order to get there in say five years time, we need to go through this process and here's what we can release from time to time that will add value to users, but get us further along that journey. Um, when you when you have that guiding principle, it helps everyone then to evaluate their own needs against that direction. And it's not to say that people will raise ideas or concerns and you'll say, nope, 
we can't do that because we've got to run over there. You know, the, the roadmap is always organic and there's always capacity to fit extra things in. But it will help people to understand that, you know, when I'm asking for this, I'm also um, asking for that to be deferred. And if I really buy into this long-term view, there's I want to I want to get there as soon as possible. Um, I want to contribute to it. I have feedback, and the feedback that I'm providing in relation to this vision is is something that's really going to be realised. Yeah, I feel like everybody everybody wants everything now, um, and then we'll probably get into this in the next uh, conversation when we start talking about expectations versus reality. Um, but often, uh, often the reality actually is around the the, the like, as you said, for something to be started, something else has to be stopped. Exactly right, and uh, it's it's a tough decision to have. Uh, the you know the optimal approach is just to be clear on what people might miss out on if that we reprioritize, and and then to to have that conversation and, and see what the outcome is. Yep, fantastic. Thanks, Ivan. Thanks for coming on this episode. Uh, some good stuff there around the the, the the learning from a larger business from the RFP RFIRFP process all the way through to the decision making Uh, thanks very much we'll see you in the next episode where we talk about expectations versus reality thanks Fraser